0: Well, God bless you. We've gotten a lot of things already in. If you went home, you'd have to say that that was a pretty full diet already. But we're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, if you'll turn in your Bibles. We'll put it on the screen, hopefully. And I really appreciate uh, those who support uh, our graphics and uh, working with our sound. And uh, I've, I've called this The Influence of a Godly Layman. Last week was part one, The Influence of a Godly Layman. And, of course, that godly layman was Epaphroditus. It's a little hard to say. It's hard to picture someone being called that, uh, but nonetheless, that was his name. And uh, I, this is part two. It's still about the influence of a godly layman, but I am entitled this one just for your thoughts, and uh, is, you couldn't pay me to do this. You could not pay me to do this. That's like a milk uh, venomous snakes to help people, or or test uh, certain things to see if uh, if it uh, stops a certain chemical, or or uh, things that are are dangerous to us. And so you really couldn't pay me to do some things. Uh, but there are some things that uh, money isn't what drives us to do them in the first place, and that's what I want to talk about. So if you'll follow with me, chapter 2 of Philippians, we'll begin at verse 25, we'll read through verse 30. And we won't be able to study all of it again, but I am going to zero in on a couple of things. Here's kind of what happens for me. When When I pray and I say, God, you know, these folks are smart people and they can read these passages and many of them have read them many times over. And so what is it you want me to do with this little time, you know, that I have? And what is it I'm to bring to the surface? And what is it that you want them to mull over some more? or to meditate upon, or take to a a different level that that, that they hadn't really thought about before. Or maybe something brand new, that somebody is new to the faith and they've they've never really heard about Epaphroditus, and so why should I even care? Why would God even put that in the storyline? I want to bring all those things up the best that I can, and so as we read this, let it just kind of saturate your spirit, and just kind of listen to how the spirit wants to take these words And apply them in in your experience. Here we go. But I thought, this is Paul speaking, but I thought it necessary to send to you, he's writing this letter to Philippians, the church at Philippi. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now hold on. Epaphroditus was sent by the church to minister to Paul. And now Paul is saying, I thought it necessary, not just an option, but it's necessary that I send him back. Well, let's find out what that's about. To send Epaphroditus, my brother, and remember we studied these three categories last week. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs. Minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him, then, in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Hold men like Epaphroditus in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Risking his life. They say six weeks minimum to get from Philippi to Rome. And it could take as long as three months, depending on what the weather was. Risking his life, whether in the travel, or whether in uh, falling in the hands of thugs and people that would try to rob him of the financial gift that the church was sending to, uh, to, to Paul to help with the work in Rome. You know, as, as Barbara was talking there in Kenya, I, I have a dear friend that came from uh, our home church many, many years ago. He's a Wesleyan pastor now, so some of you may have heard his name, Vic Rader. Anybody ever heard that name, Vic Rader? But Vic Rader, uh, for a period of time, uh, had, had a, a work and still does have some contact in Kenya, of all places, where he was working with an orphanage and doing some, some personal work. Uh, God, God gave him some funds through a church that he was pastoring and a, and, a, and a dear lady, when she passed away, she donated a significant amount of money to put into Vic Rader's hands to serve the kingdom on the foreign field. And so it turned out to be Kenya, and it was to work with orphans in that area. And I I don't have time to tell his story, but if he was here right now, he could tell tell all of us the story of the day that some local thugs broke into the compound where he was staying, and he escaped barely with his life, diving out a window into the dark and running out into the jungle and hiding until he could get away. He was beaten, Uh, he thought he was going to lose his head, a sword was drawn, he was cut, he was bleeding in his face, And, and he was managed, when he got on the airplane, the people looked at him and they said, what in the world has happened to you? And his thought was, you should have seen what I dodged, you should have seen what I escaped, I'm thankful to be on this airplane headed home. And so when we read this, risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. It makes me think about what, what, we don't know what Barbara has risked. We, we don't know, she may not even know all the things that she escaped and didn't even know it was out there that the, the Lord's angels were protecting. And, and so th- this is a wonderful thing. And it's all the more reason why when he says, hold them in high regard, here's what that means for us today, it seems to me. How could we rush out of this place to lunch and not go over to Barbara or Chelsea and give them a at a girl way to go. God bless you. We pray for you. You went when when we couldn't, or you went when we wouldn't. I mean, how can we not hold them in high regard? And so please do not uh, fight the tendency to say, well, let somebody else do it. Let George do it. Uh, stand in line if you have to, and just say, missionaries are special people around this church. And we know why. It's not because the pastor said it, it's because God said through Paul, uh, hold people like this in high regard. Okay, before we press on from verse 25, there, there's a thought, actually two or three thoughts that I want to share. And this is what I didn't have time to go over last, last time we were together. Uh, and it has to do with the thoughts about this incredible Layman, Epaphroditus, and here, here's the first thought that I would share with you. Paul describes Epaphroditus among uh, the other descriptions of him, and there are lots of descriptions of him as a liturgos, a liturgos, which is a Greek word for minister. That's that's the word in the Greek for minister. He said he he was he was a minister up in verse twenty five. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister to me. Minister to my need. The word minister is liturgos. Liturgos. And it's where we get our English word liturgy. Liturgos. Liturgy. Liturgy. Can you see it kind of forming almost in your, in your mind? And that in, a, in and of itself, it's a fact but it's not one that we would necessarily need to spend a lot of time on this morning, other than this, explaining this perhaps little-known fact. In that day, Liturgos was representing a person of great respect and high honor. A person of great respect and high honor. An example of that might be, uh, for us to relate to, is a person who has held... Some visible office, perhaps some public office, with great distinction, served with great excellence. And everybody appreciated and respected that person. And then when that person reached the age of uh, potential retirement, that person offered to continue on in the service that they had been providing over the years, only this time, no pay. In other words, you get the idea. You couldn't pay me to do this because I was doing this for pay before, but I wasn't doing it because of the pay. Because when the pay goes away, I still am happy to be doing this. Now, we've had people, even since I've been pastor here at Lakeview for several years, who have demonstrated that very, very same thing. We've had people who have retired and who we uh, who we brought on board at a at a very, very, Unreasonable pay because that's what we could afford at the time, and were willing to provide a service for a fee that was far different from what they could have gotten out into the secular world. And worked and worked and worked, and they were on the payroll at whatever rate that was. And then when it came time to retire a second time, continue, some are still continuing to serve in the same capacity that we were paying for. Only now, it's for no pay. This is a person that Paul is saying is worthy of high regard. Not because they're working for free uh, in terms of the budget, but because they're working out of the exuberance of their spirit and their heart uh, because of what they believe in, of how they want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a person of high regard with much appreciation. Now, in the New Testament... We need to understand, and we're in the New Testament in Philippians, that when the word liturgos is used, it's primarily referring to people that are serving with distinction and honor toward the Lord and His kingdom. So liturgos in the New Testament is talking about people just like you and me who are serving in the kingdom for the Lord with, with high honor and high regard amongst the people for the excellence of their service. All right, that's the first thing I wanted to share with you. Second thing I want to share with you about this uh, concept is this same word, liturgos, minister, a person of high regard, this same word is used about Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he talks about himself as a liturgos to the Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, let's read Romans 15, verse 15. I'll put it on, I'll, we'll put it on the screen. Paul says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. To do what? To be a minister. That's like turgos. That's the same Greek word there. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to who? To the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest. A priest is someone who goes between God and man and mediates the two. He that, that, it was, it was called a, a days man in the book of Job. He said, oh, that I had, you know, Job was feeling oppressed by all these difficulties that the devil was throwing at him, and, and he felt besieged, and he felt... Perhaps that God had forgotten him and forgotten where he was, and he was frustrated and afraid, and his faith was waning at times and here's this holy God and 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 he says, "What I need is a day's man, someone to put one hand on me because I'm struggling here I'm not making it so hot. I can tell that I am under pressure, I'm in, under trial and tribulation. Put one hand on this needy guy and one hand on this holy powerful God, and bring the two together because I need God's help. you ever been there before? Needed a day's man?" A mediator. So Paul says, I am to be a mediator, a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering like Turgos as a priest with distinction, with high honor, uh, doing as good a job as I know how to do for Jesus to the Gentiles because they were left out at the beginning. The the gospel news, the good news that you can go to heaven and live with God forever through Jesus Christ was not at first given to the Gentiles. It was given first to the Jews. So he says, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul himself served with great distinction to the Gentiles. Now we'll be leading up to something here in just a moment. Hold steady. Now here's a third thought. That same word, liturgos, a a minister who serves with great distinction and honor, is used in Hebrews 1, 7 to describe the work of angels who are in heaven with God. It's used to describe the angels as ministers. Listen to what it says. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels wins? And his ministers, that's liturgos. His ministers, a flame of fire. This is in the heavenly realm. The word minister, liturgos. And it tells us that angels play this incredible role, apparently, before God in heaven. They are serving God with distinction, with great excellence, ministering to God. In the heavenlies. So this liturgos thing is, it's a its a good thing for us to know about. Amen? Can I get an amen? A little, little, little stronger? Uh, I'll have the courage to finish the message that way. Thank you. <laughs> Four. And then he tells us that, listen to this, even Jesus Christ himself is portrayed in the Bible as a liturgos, as a minister serving God with excellence. Listen to what Hebrews 8, 1 says. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest, that's Jesus, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister, a liturgos, Jesus, a liturgos, in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. In other words, the church is... The church is what, what God has pitched out there. It's not something man created. But here Jesus is seen as, as a, a ministering servant in excellence, liturgos. So to be called a minister in the sense of that word is high praise. So, so when I think of, of Barbara Pinkley, I have to embarrassingly say high praise, liturgos. In my mind, you are a liturgos, according to the scriptures, and Chelsea as well. And, And Paul said, high honor to these people. What that means for the Apostle Paul to describe Epaphroditus as a liturgos, a minister to himself, he said, Epaphroditus ministered to me on behalf of God, on behalf of the Philippian church, and he is of the highest honor because this, this liturgo serving as a minister is a picture of Jesus' love. It's a picture of Jesus' heart to minister to each one of us when we know him and when we are a part of his family. And so I, you know, it begs the question, do you know Jesus this morning? Are you part of that family that we were talking about when we said this love feast and we passed out this little wafer and this, this cup? and offered it to you, but it's of no real sub- serious substance. If you're not part of the family, you can chew it, and you can swallow it, and you can drink it, but th- are you part of the family? And and so if you are part of the family, then this liturgo, serving one another in the family, is a tremendous thing. It's a high honor to serve one another with distinction. In fact, in the life of the church, we're called to be... Like Turgos, ministers to each other. Remember I said the study of Philippians, is, among other things, it teaches us how to do church. It teaches us why we come on Sunday morning. It teaches us why we don't flit around from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church to the next church. It's why we don't develop patterns like that. Because we understand the ministry to one another. And we understand that the ministry to one another is not always fun. And it's not always happy. And it sometimes is scary. And it is sometimes knuckle-busting work that we should never run away from if we want to serve with excellence. I, I, you know... We've done building programs uh, for, you know, over the years of churches we've served in. The one church, we did a $4 million building project. And you, sh- you should have seen, hopefully it was just a handful of people that had every reason in the world why they needed to change churches right before the, the pledge to build the new-, the new building. You'd be amazed at how quickly people will run away from their church over silliness and nonsense And something as ridiculous as money. It happens. It is not what have you done for me lately. But it is what can I do to bless you that is bleeding through uh, this passage to me. You see, God has given us a tremendous... Think about this. God has given us a tremendous family experience through the church. What we just walked through at the Lord's Supper is a family affair. It's a family experience. Some of us don't know what that's like. Some of, some of us grew up in homes where you never sat down at a meal together, ever. You cannot re- recall it. Some of us, you didn't have a mother and a father. You were raised by somebody who cared for you or maybe in an institutional setting. Uh, some of you uh, your your father abandoned or passed away or your mother abandoned or passed away or divorce ripped things up and and just all kinds of things happened and and so th- this is a true family experience through the church that may well be for some people the only healthy and affirming family experience that some of us has have ever had and you know what I'm talking about and we reach out especially like on Wednesday nights To many families like this, who do not have a "quote" normal kind of background and childhood, and so you know that was that was not the way it was in Paul's day in terms of the major cultures of how they saw how they saw themselves in their culture. Let me give you an example. So, if you were back in Paul, you and I were back in Paul's day, and we were Greek in our background, born in Greece, and we were Greek in our background. To the Greek culture, you were either Greek or a barbarian. Those were your two choices. If you're not a Greek, then you're a barbarian. Sorry, there's nothing in between. Or uh, for the Romans, if you were either a Roman citizen or you were basically slave, basically. You're either a Roman citizen or you're slave or about to be one. Uh, if you were, a, a, you were either a Jew or a Gentile, nothing in between. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile, and that's just the way that worked. If you take a look at class, uh, class distinctions, you would say that, that uh, today, we, we would say that there's high class and there's low class. Now, there is some stuff in the middle called middle class, but basically, there's these class distinctions that happen. And uh, when it comes to race, now hear me, when it comes to race, you're either a privileged white guy or you're... Whatever else is left. Red, yellow, black, or you're a privileged white guy. Sadly, when it comes to education, you are either high, a highly regarded PhD or you are anything less than that. And in the midst of all of this comes something called the Church of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Which does not have class. Class. And it does not have race, and it does not have educational pretense, and it does not have other kinds of distinctions that are related to value. In, in March is Jesus Christ saying, There's a new family experience that doesn't work like the culture does. What are you going to do with it? And so, in the teachings of Christ and Christianity, every true believer in Jesus Christ is on the same plane. Every true believer in Jesus Christ sitting in this room, or who will ever sit in this room, is on the same plane. And that is why Paul lifted up this layperson, Epaphroditus. He said, This guy's equal with me. I may have more education than he has, and I may have more experience in certain things and doctrines and whatever, and I may have had an experience with Jesus. Uh, on the road to Damascus, and he hadn't had that. But guess what? He is of equal value in God's economy, in the family of God. And that's special. Now, Jesus even applied this equal value principle. He even applied that inside uh, the nuclear family. At one time, he was speaking, and the crowds were around, and uh, his personal family showed up. And do you remember what he said about his personal family? And we're talking about the the spiritual family of God. And now we're talking about Jesus' nuclear family. Listen to what what he says in the midst of uh, the crowd. Matthew 12, 46. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Ah, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he or she is my brother and sister and mother. In fact, Jesus went on to say that sometimes even the enemies of our faith will not just be coming from outside in the outside secular world, but sometimes the enemies of our faith will come from within our own nuclear families. Have you ever had that experience? And I'm sure some of you have. Matthew 10, 16, listen to this. Jesus talked, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about what you're going to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you're going to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit, that Holy Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now listen to this. Catch it. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now I shared that story, and I'm going to wind this down here because we've had a lot going on, and I'm sure you can only hold so much, but I shared that story with you a few years ago if you've been here for some time, and so you may You may uh, remember it, but so many of you are new, and uh, I'm sure you haven't heard it. But my former, one of my former children's pastors told me that when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ, he shared it one day with his very, very rich uncle, who was a successful attorney for many, many years in Chicago. When his uncle heard that Adam wanted to uh, not only become a Christian, but Adam went on to say, and uncle... uh, And he loved this uncle, and his uncle really loved him and thought highly of him. He said, Uncle, I I feel like God is calling me into the ministry, that God wants me to go into full-time Christian service as as a part of my vocation. And when his uncle heard that Adam wanted to go into the ministry, it it literally blew his mind. It just blew his mind. I can still remember Adam telling me this story and said, My uncle, I thought I could have knocked him over with a feather, and, and so instead of affirming this young man and his decision to, to love Christ and to serve the Lord in this way, he, he did everything in his power to talk Adam out of uh, becoming a pastor with children. Saying he was bright enough to be successful in a lot of different fields, it doesn't have to be that one. Saying that he was having a knee-jerk reaction to an emotional feeling that would pass. Saying that he would limit his possibilities in life because of it, saying that he would never accumulate any wealth working in that field, and saying finally that he would not remember him in his will because I'm not going to throw significant assets which I was planning to move your direction, to move your way. I am not going to throw that down a rat hole, so to speak. Now, some of you have had the same reaction from family members when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or some of you may even be holding off doing that when you really want to for fear of what mom or dad or brother or sister or what your friends might say. It's happened. Because when you became a member of the family of God, it was some of your own family that gave you the cold shoulder. Some of your own family laughed at you behind your back. Some of your own nuclear family discouraged you. By leaving you out of certain family plans and, and hurting your feelings and, and discouraging your heart. And Jesus was right when he said the enemy of our faith will often use the people closest to us at times to pull us away from God. And for some of us, the closer we got to God, the farther away we seem to get from our families. You, 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 you know what I'm talking about? And so, when you went to a Billy Graham crusade and you walked the aisle and you went forward, or you came to Lakeview and you said I, you, to one of the pastors or one of us that you wanted to become a Christian and you wanted to go on and become a member of the church and be baptized and to follow through with the things that God wants us to do. And when you went home and you told the people that you really grew up with and cared about and whatever, and they didn't endorse you and they didn't, they didn't give you a pat on the back, they didn't say, at a girl, add a boy. They discouraged you. But Jesus is giving us something very different from how the world treats people, even sometimes our own family members. He's giving us exposure to a worldwide family that walks through life together. And that's the beauty of the church, that in love, this liturgos, this ministering to one another and caring more about what we can give and bless in someone else's life than what we actually get ourselves. And that's why it's painful and it is hurtful when people just bob and weave and run from one church to the next church to the next church. I don't know how you establish significant bonded relationships with that kind of a strategy. And so I think Paul is saying, listen, the church, this is a family. I'm going to tell you something. When, When you're not here, uh, whether you get a note, a phone call, or a visit, whether you get that or not, we, we notice that you're not here. We notice when you're not in the choir. We notice when you're not working in the youth department anymore. We notice when you're not in small group. We notice these things. We, we're aware of those things, not by way of judgment. It hurts when people you love are not with you because we're family We don't devalue people on the basis of their family history around here. And if we, if we ever do, I, I want to know about it, and our staff want to know about it, because we don't devalue people on the basis of their family history, the color of their skin, the level of their education, the type and size of their body, the beauty of their physical demeanor, the amount of their talent, the vibrance of their personality, their financial circumstances, even if they are not on paid staff of a ministry somewhere, this church Family is different because we liturgos minister to one another. Can I get an amen? That's what makes church special. That's that's why when you get up on Sunday morning or you go to bed on Saturday night, and say, "Well, are we going to church?" Of course. Are you kidding me? That that's what families do. Are you coming to the family reunion? Of course. This is my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. This is my family. Are you are you kidding? I'm not going to come to the reunion. I'm not going to come to the love feast. I'm not going to come to the banquet. Are you kidding me? And that's a part of what it means to share in a family meal together like we did just a few moments ago. Now, the next couple of verses, I'm going to quit because I don't have time. But what? So verses 26 and 7. Because he was going, Epaphras was longing for you and I sent him home because he heard you were sick. And indeed he was sick, he almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on uh, him only, but me too, so I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. So so why, here's the question, why was Epaphroditus so concerned about the folks back in Philippi that he needed to go back? It was because they heard he was so sick he might die. And they obviously loved him so much that 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 news upset them, that Epaphroditus was sick and he might die and he's over in Rome. And he felt badly that they were so worried. He felt badly that they were so upset over him. And you know what? You really have to love and care for someone to be that upset when you hear they're seriously ill or they might die. You've got to really love somebody to care that much. This is just another example of how the family of God, the church, operates. And it's so different from the way of the world. It's based on something more than familial type of love. Uh, it's attractive when it is lived out. It's magnetic to the world when they see it in action. And for many people, it's the first time they've ever experienced true love in their entire lives. So, uh, closing. Who has been a liturgos to you today? Who has been a minister to you in the family of God today, if anyone? Who has someone in your life like Jesus who says, I've given my life for you, not because you deserved it or because I had to. I've given my life for you because I wanted to. I wanted to. I'm often asked this question after nearly every staff meeting. By the Lord and sometimes by people close to me. I'm often asked this question after every church board meeting, here or any churches that I've ever served. I'm often asked this same question when I've gotten together at denominational meetings when brothers and sisters come together and we'll be doing a district conference here shortly. And sometimes even walking through the foyer of the church yet this morning before things began and when the service is over and we're all walking out patting Barbara and Chelsea on the back. I'm often asked this question. Who ministered to you today? Who was a liturgos To you this day. Who was an Epaphroditus to you in the ministry today? Now, let me say before someone gets goofy and silly about what I just said I don't and you don't come to church every Sunday to get affirmed and to get ministered to. That's not why I showed up this morning. I don't and you don't do that. But we come to give and we come to serve. We come to praise God. We come to pray. We come to learn God's Word better. But the idea of mutual love and ministry in the family of God ought to bring that kind of warmth and care. It ought to bring our way love and support. It ought to bring our way encouragement and affirmation because it is rooted in love and the motivation of valuing others more than ourselves. So ultimately, it is Christ who is the greatest liturgos minister according to God's word. And I just want to leave you with this thought. In Hebrews 8, and we read it, we see Jesus pictured seated at the right hand of God the Father. Why is he seated? Because he's already done his work. He's already gone to the cross. He's completed it. He's already completed God's justice for sin that is in our lives and in the world. So he's seated and he's at rest. We do not see him working. He's satisfied things. But in Acts chapter 7, let me give you this thought. Maybe you've not seen this before. But as Stephen, one of the great early Christians who was martyred, as Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is being stoned to death by his persecutors, he was given the ability to see right into the throne room of God, right into the heavenlies. And, and what he saw was, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing Not seated, standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Not once but twice he tells us he's not seated, but he's standing now. And I I believe that perhaps he was standing because he saw what was happening to Stephen. He saw the people picking up the stones. He saw that his servant was in a hard place and in harm's way. And he he recognized it and he stood up and he said, one of the ways that I can fix things and bring glory in a hard place is just bring them home. And that's what he did. And he brought Stephen to heaven with him. I tell you that if you're part of the family of God, we have a liturgos minister that when you and I get in a hard place, you and I get pushed when you and I get where, where we feel like I can't take it anymore, I am up to here. I can't, if there's one more thing that goes wrong with my life, or my finances, or my stupid car, or my whatever, or my kids, or my grandkids, and I think I'm just about up to here, you can just picture Jesus getting up, standing up, and saying, No, 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 I haven't forgot where you are. And sometimes I heal. Sometimes I, I stop the stoning. Sometimes I will take the cancer away, and sometimes I just bring them home. Sometimes, I, I, as we heard with James LePetri a few weeks ago, sometimes I give you enough healing that you can kind of continue to push through. And then at some point, we, we, we have to trust the Lord with it. We see Jesus, this great liturgos minister on our behalf. So when there's loneliness, we stand up. Where there's emergency, we stand up. Where there's turmoil in the life of the church and struggle, we stand up. Where there's confusion and doubt, we stand up. Where there's grief, we stand up. Where there's sickness, we stand up. Where there's poverty, we stand up. Where there's pain and sorrow, we stand up. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's how he wants us to be in this body. So, you don't have to pay a person to do that kind of thing. They do it because they want to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to develop a greater atmosphere of want to in ministry to one another in the body of Christ. Oh, Jesus, we want to be like you. We know we can't get it all right in this life, but we want to be that kind of a fellowship. Help us, Lord, every time we greet one another to find a way to be affirming, to be a light like Turgos, a minister to the people that we cross paths with, and not to live as a, a man or a woman on an island and just have a private relationship with you, but that we have a corporate responsibility to love one another. Help us to do it, Father, and I ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.